Thank you for joining us today. At Cross Church, we believe people need Jesus, people need each other, people change the world, and people leave legacies. Our desire is for you to understand, accept, and grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. If you would like to know more about Cross Church, please visit crosschurch.com. Today, we're going to talk about priorities. Now, you may look at the first three weeks and be like, Whew, okay, that, that's good. We needed to come up for air a little bit, which is probably true, but I would just say wait till the end of the message before you're too confident right there because I believe we're gonna get into some stuff that, uh, that I believe the Lord wants you to hear about and, uh, and listen to in your own life today. Um, my hunch is that most of you in the room have probably dealt with, at least at some level, the first three weeks of this series. In other words, you've studied the Bible and what it says about alcohol. You've come to your own conclusion. You're actively doing that, uh, even what sexuality, what the Bible says about that may be crystal clear for you now, and you are walking in obedience in God's path there, or you are on your way to obedience there. And, uh, and so you often may look at priorities and think, well, that's not even in the same ballpark. In fact, Nick, priorities are not even an issue for me. And I would just tell you to hold on real quick for just a moment. What I've found in uh, 18 and a half, almost 19 years of uh, full-time ministry is that people rarely get off track in the major things. Now, no doubt that happens and people leave the faith and they just go off their rocker, you know. But what I most of the time see Christians struggling with is not the big things, it's more the small things. It's, it's the issue of basics, it's the issue of priorities, and that's what we're gonna talk about today. Now, again, you may be one that says, Nick, this is not an issue for me. We're a family of priorities. We have a family motto, family mission. It's on the wall, like maybe... That's you, that's great. But uh, answer this question for me, okay? Just in your own heart. And uh, if, if the answer to one of these questions is yes, then you might have an issue on the element of priorities. Number one, do I ever sense a contradiction between who I want to be and who I know that I actually am? That's one. Do I ever sense a conflict between my career and the things of God? Do I ever sense uh, the tension of all my kids' activities in church? Do I ever lay in bed wondering, knowing the person that I want to be and wondering, man, is all the things that I'm doing, are they really making a difference to be who I need to be in Christ? If, uh, if you answered yes to any of those or questions like that, my, uh, my belief is that you probably do have an issue with priorities even though you don't recognize that. And uh, here's one thing we all have in common is that to be the person that God wants you to be, you gotta prioritize the things that God wants you to prioritize. Let me say that to you again. You got, in order for you to be the person that God wants you to be, you gotta prioritize the things that God wants you to prioritize. And I could say it in the reverse order as well. You will never be who God wants you to be if you don't prioritize the things of God. As you know, in this series, we're kind of all over the map biblically studying different passages in the Bible about these various subjects. We do have one theme verse that I'm reading to you every single week. Romans 7:15. Paul wrote this, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In other words, said in the vein of priorities, I know the person that I want to be, but my priorities are often out of whack and I'm not where I want to be where I need to be with the Lord either. And uh, so when you get to Matthew 13, this is a parable of Jesus. 
A parable is just a story. Jesus often taught using illustrations, using stories that were known as parables. And in this chapter, Jesus has been speaking to the crowds and he has been using these parables to teach the people. At the end of the day, Jesus leaves with his disciples. They enter into a home and the disciples are like, Jesus, hold up here. We need clarification on the parable. Like the one you said there, what did you mean? And Jesus answers what the parable meant by giving them two more parables. Okay, so it's a lot of stories explaining more stories. And he begins to speak to them about what is known as the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. So look all the way down in chapter 13, look all the way down at verse 44. And we see two very short stories that are gonna be our passage for today. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. There's story number one. Pretty short, right? Here's parable number two. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, as we get into this today, let me answer a good question for us based on these two passages. Number one, what is the kingdom of heaven? All right, what is the kingdom of heaven? Both of these parables mention it. And interestingly, Matthew is the only one of the four gospel writers that uses that phrase. You look at the four gospels, especially if you're new to the faith today, new to the Bible, the the four books that begin the New Testament are the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we're reading from Matthew's gospel here. Mark, Luke, and John use a different phrase. They call this the kingdom of God. And you say, well, well, why did Matthew use both of these terms, not just the kingdom of God, but also the kingdom of heaven? Uh, Some scholars believe that when he used this, he used it some 32 different times in the gospel of Matthew. He used the kingdom of heaven because he was writing primarily to a Jewish audience who they held the name of God in such high regard that he just gave a different name to say the same thing. So here's a good question for us. Do we here 2,000 years later, do we view the name of God with such awe and reverence like Matthew? Of man, I'm gonna use a different word entirely because we hold the name of God in such high regard. They mean the same thing. So whenever you see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, here's what you need to think about. You need to think about the rule of God in your life. The rule of God or the reign of God in life. Your life. You see, when a person gets saved, if you're a follower of Jesus in the room, you think back to the moment that you put your faith and trust in Jesus, your moment of conversion, you entered into a kingdom. You entered into a new family, the kingdom of God. And that happened because King Jesus, the king, went and did some things on your behalf that you couldn't do. You could never live a perfect life, but he could. You could never die for your own sins, but he could. Uh, You could never rise from the dead, but He could, and he did all of these things. So based on what the king has done for us, at the moment you get saved, you are placed into a new kingdom where guess what? The king rules over all things and he reigns over all things in your life. Now, to give us his principle, Jesus gave us two pictures here. So I want you to write both these down. By the way, today is a note taker's dream sermon, okay? Lots of stuff for you to write down. Jesus gave us two pictures. Number one, he gave us the picture of a treasure, he says that there was a man um, who went and found a treasure in a field. This treasure represents the kingdom of God, this salvation that God gives us. And a man bar- finds buried treasure. You can imagine him like looking around like, man, does anybody else see what I have just found? And it says that he covers it up. 
He gives us a second picture. It's the picture of a pearl. Some of you ladies may be wearing pearl earrings today or a pearl necklace. And Jesus says there was a merchant in search of fine pearls, and then he found one great pearl. And here's what you got to recognize. In both stories, they have the same response. Both men completely sold out for the prize. First one sold out for the treasure. The second one sold out for the pearl. The man who found the treasure, what did he do? He didn't take the treasure. He covered it up. And in his joy, sold all that he had so that he could go back and buy that field. Similarly, the man who found the great pearl sold everything so that he could find and uh, so that he could buy that pearl. Why? Because they realized the value of the prize in both instances. Now, you may take a step back and say, well, Nick, what is the message of these parables? All right. And what in the world does these have to do with priorities? I'm going to get there in just a moment. Um, it really teaches us a lot about following Jesus. Here's the first thing. Following Jesus will cost you everything. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but following Jesus in your life will cost you everything. Both men in this story <coughs> sold everything because of the treasure and because of the pearl. And it is symbolic that if you wanna come into a relationship with Christ, it requires a complete and total wholesale surrender of your life to God. This is more than raising a hand, walking an aisle, saying a prayer. Wholesale surrender to Jesus Christ. Wholesale submission to the King. Does that make sense so far? Remember elsewhere in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells a story about a, a young rich guy. Young rich guy comes to Jesus and says something like, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And uh, Jesus says, well, you got to do all the commandments. And rich young man's like, I've done that. Okay, what else? And Jesus says, well, you, you lack one thing. He says, sell all that you have and give the proceeds to the poor. And the man, as you remember in the passage, went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, some of you are like, Nick, hold up. I need some clarification on the parable. Are you saying that to follow Jesus requires that I give away all of my money? I'm not saying that. I think the Bible actually says that you must give away much more. Your entire life, including your money, your time, all that you are, anything that could be in the realm of you, wholly surrendered to God. You see, when, when you submit to the king, the king comes in and he takes rulership over your life. That is biblical salvation. Now, it's crystal clear here in this passage. And if you're here today and you say, I've never heard that before. One of two things is true. Either you are not a Christian or either you had a very faulty understanding of what this thing actually required when you stepped into following Jesus, that it actually will cost you everything. Number two is this. Following Jesus will give you much more joy than you can imagine. It'll give you much more joy than you can imagine. Uh, these two people did not hesitate, okay? As you read both parables, there's no sense of delay. There's no sense of, well, I don't know if this is really worth it. Immediately, these people understood the value of the prize and willingly and joyfully gave up all that they had for a treasure and for a pearl, now, both of these parables uh, give us something important, okay? And this is a really important thing for everybody to understand. 
It's not a drag to follow Jesus. It's really not. In fact, there's more joy associated with knowing Jesus than anything that you could ever find in this life, okay? Now, let me speak to those of you. I'm gonna grab my water here. I got something in my throat. Um, <clears throat> how many of you are in this room, and if you're honest with yourself, you recognize the call to follow Jesus. You recognize that it requires every part of who you are, and because of that, you have not surrendered your life to Jesus. Like how many of you would be honest enough to say, Nick, that's, that's actually my story? Oh, that's so much better. If that is you, here's what I would start out by saying. I would say, man, thank you for understanding the call to receive Christ. Thank you under, for understanding the cost of what it will cost you to walk with Jesus. But here's what I would tell you if you are in the room or maybe you're one of those watching online and you would say, Nick, I know, I know that I need to get saved. I know that I need to give my life to Christ. But man, I recognize the call to give up everything to follow Jesus. And I just am not sure if I'm there yet. I just don't know that I want to give up everything to follow Jesus. Here would be my, my loving and candid response to you. You are only forfeiting joy. That's what this passage is teaching us is that yes, you're giving up everything, but it's not that you just give up everything and it costs you and there's no benefit to it. The Bible says that the joy far outweighs the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Now, listen, I, I know some of you are sitting there and you're like, Nick, this sounds like a great Easter Sunday gospel message, but what in the world does this have to do with priorities? I appreciate you asking. We're gonna get there, okay? And uh, here's what you gotta recognize. The call of these two parables is not just a, a once and for all surrender to Christ at the moment of salvation, then you go and live however you wanna live. The call of these two parables and the call to follow Jesus Christ is a once and for all surrender that plays itself daily in every instance, in every decision, in every moment of your life that you would remain submitted and surrendered to Christ in every part of our lives. I want you to think about salvation like this. Um, let's imagine that this table here is a throne. And when you come to faith in Christ, you are sitting on the throne of your life, okay? Whatever sounds good, you do it. Whatever feels right, you go for it. You call the shots in your life. And then when somebody steps in and says, hey, there's a king who's given his all for you so that you would give his all for him. And you hear the gospel message. In the moment of salvation, you step off of the throne and Jesus takes the place of authority in your life and he rules and he reigns over all aspects of your life. Some of you understand that, but how many of us have forgotten that practically? How many of you are Christians, I'm not saying you've lost your salvation, but how many of you, if you're honest with your own life over the last few years, months, days, or weeks, this is really the reality of you in your own life and story. You're like, you're like, oh, I'm kind of back in the saddle again, calling the shots, doing what I want to do. I'm in control of my life. How many of you are in that position? How many of you, if you're honest with yourself, you say, Nick, I have lost the joy of knowing Jesus. And for me, all I am recognizing right now is the cost, the cost, the cost then if that's true, then I would say, listen, it's time to take a look at priorities and it's time to get back to where to be where you need to be with the Lord. Based on these parables, let me give you two truths about following Jesus beyond these that I've just talked about. 
Number one is this, and this goes back to the, the idea of a throne, the idea of authority in your life, is the reality of following Jesus is that he reorders our lives according to his priorities. Amen. He radically reorders our lives according to his priorities. In other words, like I said just a moment ago, if that's a shocking thing to you, number one, you are not saved, or number two, this is like the very beginning, beginning, beginning of discipleship for you to understand what your salvation means beyond just a moment of surrender, but a whole life surrender, a radical reordering of your life. Think about this. Um, those of you men who are married in the room, um, you remember what it was like when you got married? You had all this planning to which you had no input or opinion. You walk down an aisle, five minutes later, like everything has changed. And you go from sleeping on a sheet and you are just covered by one sheet to real bedding, okay? Or you go from eating fast food and pizza every night to now you have like a real meal. There's this green stuff on your plate. Like, I don't even know what that is, but I've not tried it yet, but my wife makes me put it on my plate. Um, or, you know, you move from cut off t-shirts to collared shirts you know, like there's a lot of a, a radical reorienting of life when you get married. That is like a, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what it begins to look like when you follow Jesus. Jesus as king brings change. And if you don't change, he'll bring the change. Anybody got that testimony besides the preacher today? Not, sometimes he brings the change by bringing the hammer and he will get you to be where you need to be. And so you can fight against the change of God in your life or you can go in the flow of the change that God is asking you to make. But when you follow Jesus, he begins a radical reorientation of every single thing in our lives around his priorities. Here's the second truth. To follow Jesus is to align my life with his priorities. Like I said, some of you, uh, you understand this whole, I'm gonna get off the throne thing and be saved. That's not, that's not a stretch for you. Like you got that down, but you're wondering, okay, well now what? Like what does it look like for me to daily walk with Jesus Christ? By the way, this is the question whether you've been saved for six hours or 60 years. What does it look like for me to follow Jesus in this season of my life? Well, at the very bare minimum of that, it means that you are aligning your life with his priorities. Everybody, everybody look up here, okay, just for a moment. We align with God's priorities. He does not align with our priorities. Okay, so, so, so my life is to be reoriented to his life, not his life to my life. And many people want to live a Christian life that, that is that. Of, well, I, I still want to call the shots. I still want to be in control. And some of you, God is, God is stripping the sense of control. I say a sense of control because you're really not already in control. It's an illusion. To follow Jesus is to align my life with his priorities. Things that I didn't care about, I now care about. Things that weren't important are now important in my life. And so you may, you may be like tracking with me so far and you're thinking, Nick, this, this sounds good. Like I know, that, I know that's what I need to do, but how do I do that? Like how do we do priorities God's way? And I'm gonna give it to you in one statement 
and then I'm gonna play this out through a few commitments, okay? Here's the one statement. How do we live priorities God's way? We live a kingdom first life. Kingdom first life. You say, well, Nick, what is a kingdom first life? Think back uh, just a few chapters earlier. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus gives us this famous passage. But seek, what is the word? First, say love. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, I'm gonna live for this uh, for my relationship with Christ first, and then everything else will be after. I've used this illustration many times in teaching that passage, but imagine that I had just an empty jar here today. Just imagine AI, psh, it's right here, okay? And um, let's say that it's empty, and I've got uh, four or five golf balls that represent the priorities of my life, whatever those are. Your family, your walk with Christ, you know, and so on. And then I have uh, a big bucket of sand, if I fill up that little jar with, with sand all the way to the brim, and then I say, okay, I need to get the priorities of my life into the jar of my life. Is it gonna fit, yes or no? Not gonna fit. On the flip side of that, if I take an empty jar and I have the five priorities and I say, man, these are what I'm going to base my life upon. I'm gonna put those in there first, and then I'm gonna get the sand. Guess what happens? They both fit when I pour in the sand second. That is the message of Matthew 6, That if you'll take care of the main things, God will take care of everything else in your life. If you prioritize the things of God, kingdom of God, kingdom first mentality, God says, listen, all that other stuff you're worried about, I'll pour it in. Guess what? Around the priorities. They don't take precedence over the priorities. They're just gonna be around the priorities. I'll fill in the gaps. Anybody else need the Lord to fill in some gaps in your life today? That is a beautiful picture of how the kingdom of God works. I'm gonna put God's priorities first and then God's going to take care of everything else in my life. So let me wrap up today, okay? We're gonna round third base and head home with us. I'm gonna give you four, four kingdom commitments to make. These are not exhaustive by nature. I, I could give you 24 today, okay? But if you get these four down in your Christian walk, I, I think that you are going to be well on your way to walking with Jesus and to living a life of the right priorities, okay? If you wanna be a person who lives the priorities of God, start with these four, okay? Number one is this. I will spend time with God every morning. I will spend time with God every morning. It's hard for me to seek first the kingdom of God if I'm not seeking first the kingdom of God. See what I did there? A little play on words. It's hard for me to put the things of God first if I am not seeking God first in my life. There's not a day in my life that I don't begin my day with the word of God and with prayer, okay? Some of you hear that, like, Nick, I don't have an hour to give. Don't think an hour. Give God what you can give right now and God will grow you over time, okay? Um, here's what I found. If I give God the first minutes of my day, he takes care of the remaining hours of the day in a way that I just can't fully explain. And you probably have the same story as me. When I've neglected those first minutes of the day, I look back at the end of the day and think, man, what did I do with all those hours? It was really not effective for the kingdom at all. So I will spend time with God every morning. First golf ball you ought to put in the jar of your life, no doubt, okay? Here's a second one. This relates to what you're doing right now. I will be committed to my local church. I will be committed to my local church. 
This is a, a uh, decision that Meredith and I have made in our own family. You said, Monique, you're a pastor. I think you should be in church every Sunday too, okay? But this would be true if we were not in full-time ministry, that we would be here on Sundays. Whenever, whenever it was absolutely possible for us to be here, we would be in church and we'd be committed to our church. Uh, we've taken this a level deeper where, where we are committed to our kids being involved during the week on Wednesday nights and other things that the church is offering for them. Why do we do that? At least in part, here's why we do that. Not only do they hear mom and dad talking the things of God, but when they are present on Sunday mornings, it's another layer of me, Jeff, Ryan, somebody preaching the word of God. When you involve them on Wednesday nights or in a small group, guess what? It's just another layer of somebody else speaking in their life. Anybody else need more than your own voice with your kids right now? I got four. I need more than one voice. Takes a village, right? Better said, it takes a church. And so, so Meredith and I have committed to that. Even when they complain about going on Wednesday nights, yes, the preacher's kids complain about going on Wednesday nights sometimes. And you know how that affects me? Zero, okay. <laughs> Don't really care whatsoever. Um, they also complain when I tell them to stop eating so much ice cream. They're eight years old. They're 10, they're 13, they're 16. They, they really don't know what's best. And so the call of these two parables, let me, let me just like speak directly. The call of these two parables for parents in the room is to parent Amen. according to the priorities of God in your life and to lead your kids. Well, what if they get mad? Okay. I slept fine. All right. You got to parent and not be driven by your kids. Now, up until this point, you probably thought, man, this is a light, easy, you know, elephant in the room sermon. You know, I kind of like this one. Here it goes, okay? I'm going to bring up two things today. I wish that I was not having them, this conversation in this setting, but this is the only setting I I get with you with, with the mass of you, okay? I wish I was sitting down in my office or at a coffee shop or over Mexican food would probably be my, my, my wish, really. But I, I wish that I could have an arm around you. I wish I could grab your hand and, and pat it like this. Um, and I just, I'm just asking you to trust my heart, okay? But I, I'm going to ask you a couple of direct things in your life related to being committed to your local church. I want you to ask yourself this question. Not for me, for you. How many times a month am I actually at church? Some of you are having to think, well, you know, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Let's, let's just take the past four Sundays. Okay, you're here today. So boom, there's one. Were you here for the alcohol message that we started out? Because you probably wouldn't forget that one. Um, the last two on sexuality. Let's just use the last month as a gauge. My hunch is that some of you, if you're honest, you're like, Nick, I mean, we're probably like once a month people. You know, if it wasn't a late Razorback game or if it's not raining. Raining. As if we have church outside. Um, You know, stuff like that. Let, Let me do simple math, which is the only math that I'm capable of doing, by the way. 
If you're here once a month, 12 months a year, means you're in church 12 times throughout the entire year. Again, you probably don't recognize that, realize that. I really don't say it with condemnation. I say it with more of an invitation of like, listen, God wants more for your life. And if you ever want to be a person who lives according to the priorities of God, it will not happen apart from a commitment to a local church. In fact, I've never known a thriving Christian who wasn't committed to his or her local church. It's just the truth. So, so how many times are you here on a normal month? And again, what is God asking you to shift accordingly? Um, let, me, let me speak directly to parents. And this is, again, here it's coming, okay? Uh, I think God has given me the unique role to, to lovingly caution you at times towards things that the culture says are all fine and yet are out of whack with the priorities of God. Let me speak to you about travel sports for a moment. Like, oh gosh, here it goes. That's a, yep, elephant is all over the place on this one. Um, let, me, let me start out by saying I'm an avid sports fan. I was up watching football way too late last night. I like West Coast games, you know what I'm saying? And uh, all four of my kids have been involved in sports, whether it's cheer, to gymnastics, to football, to basketball, you know, you name it. Um, so I'm a big sports guy. I'll never forget when, uh, when one of our, our daughters was in a, a gymnastics class. I think she was literally like kindergarten or first grade. And that teacher came up to, to my wife, Meredith, at the end of the class and said, you know what, she has really got potential. She's really got a lot going for her. You should think about putting her in blank to blank to blank to blank. And, you know, as a parent, I, I say this all to, to resonate with you. It's fun to watch our kids do activities, is it not? And if I, if I detailed our schedule right now of just what we're doing with school, sports, like, I'm tired, okay? Um, but when that, when that teacher said that to us, it's like, I mean, that's, obviously she got the athleticism from the dad's side of this thing. <laughs> And it just feels great. I mean, maybe our daughter will be in the Olympics one day. And I mean, I just, who knows what's going to happen? And, and Meredith and I just made a decision like that does not fit with our priorities. Even though they've still continued to do gymnastics and cheer and football, we just basically put a guard on it. We, we put a limit on it. Um, here's the trouble with travel sports, whether it's travel football, baseball, basketball, gym, cheer, volleyball, whatever other ball there is, okay? Um, and, and I say this without condemnation again. I, I wish I could hug you after this. Um, I just want to lovingly caution you towards activities that pull you and your children. I'm, and I'm more concerned about your kids that pull you out about four months of the year. And I want you to think about just think about the long-term effects of that. Here's a principle that's true. It's, it's true beyond travel sports, but it's true about all areas of our life. Your kids will never prioritize what you marginalize. Amen. If they were raised in a home, it was like, oh, I mean, if it's convenient, we're going to church. Do not be surprised if your grandchildren are not raised in the faith or in church. If... Uh, if it was okay for me growing up to be out of the church rhythm 
Now, why would it not be okay for my own family one day? Heavy topic, right? One that I can't make decisions for you and you just got to work that out in your own family. I just lovingly caution, lovingly warn. You don't want to be 55 years old and your kids are raised with no heart for God, no commitment to church, and you're heartbroken because of a ball. Let's come up for air. Um, Here's the third thing. (laughs) Did you hear the baby laugh when I said that? That was funny. Um, I will have the right kind of friendships. I'll fly through this one. This is true uh, for all ages. Somebody once said, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. This is true. All of you, all of you uh, kids, teenagers, young adults, and listen to me, adults of all ages, who you hang with will determine at oftentimes where you're headed spiritually. So are the people around you, are they like cheering? You're like, man, let's go. Let's go forward in your faith. Like, man, make, make decisions that honor God. Or are those the friends on the weekend that are pulling the back on their hands like, oh, 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 man, this is what we do on Friday night. This is who we are, dude. Why are you backing up on us now? Like, who you hang with is gonna determine so much about your future. Only you can determine that. Let me wrap up with one that will sound odd to you. I will Sabbath every week. I will Sabbath every week. Some of you are like, what in the world is a Sabbath, okay? The Sabbath was introduced at creation. God worked for six days in creating the world. And then what did he do on the, on the seventh day? He rested. You're probably like, I mean, of course he had to rest. Mount Everest, don't you think he was tired after that one? He did not rest because he was tired. He rested because we get tired. He rested to show us a pattern for our lives. And... Uh, We work for six days and we rest on one day. That's the pattern of creation, the pattern of our lives. Everybody listen up real real loud and clear. Some of the reasons why some of you are so burnt out and exhausted in your life and career is because you are not practicing a Sabbath in your family. A Sabbath is a day where you intentionally rest and you worship God. You are saying, God, I give you one day fully And I believe that you can do more with six days than I can do in seven. It's kind of like the tithe. I believe you can do more with that, with 90, than me with 100. Some of you, I would say probably many of you, uh, your Sabbath needs to be a Sunday like this. You're already here. You've got the worship side of that down. And then you intentionally rest the rest of the day. I'm not saying you stay on the couch all day. Like, don't be legalistic with it, but are you resting? Sunday is not, not restful for me. It's not my Sabbath. Friday is my day off. It's become my own Sabbath. I do not produce for the church on that day. I intentionally don't schedule meetings. I don't write sermons. I don't plan strategically for the church. I don't do any of that. Why? Because I need a day to rest and to worship God with my life. Let me give you a challenging read. Um, it's, it's an easy read with challenging content. Better way to say that. Uh, a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, you'll want to throw this book across the room a couple times. It's okay. It'll challenge you in the realm of what we're speaking about, of the busy, 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 busy lives that all of us lead with all the activities. 
and it'll give some, some help to bring your priorities into account. Uh, in one of his books, he speaks about the Sabbath being like Christmas Day. What do you do on Christmas Day? You may answer, Zenek, I have a lot of awkward interactions with my family on Christmas Day. Okay, besides that, besides that, you may say, uh, well, we sleep in a little bit if the kids are not young and they're waking us up to open presents. Uh, then we hang out, we have a late breakfast. We open up the Bible. We, we may read a passage of scripture to celebrate Christmas together. And then we open presents. We just hang out. We, we all end up napping during the cowboy game. Wake up in the fourth quarter only to be heartbroken yet again. It's fine. I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. But think about it. You eat your best meals on, on Christmas. Spend the most time with your family on Christmas. You're not distracted by other people or by work. You don't answer emails on Christmas unless you're a different kind of sermon we need to talk about later. Why? It's Christmas. And Comer says this. He says, the Sabbath is God's invitation to you to have Christmas once a week. Where you just pause. You remember what God's done for you. You intentionally rest. How many of us need to get our schedule, our calendar back to be where it needs to be with God. I want you to grab your uh, communion elements. We're gonna wrap up in an entirely different way today. Our, our staff, they're gonna be down here after the service. Um, we're, gonna, we're gonna end on communion, okay? If you are here and you would say, Nick, man, I, I know that I need to give my life to Christ. Like that is the step I need to take. I wanna encourage you as soon as we dismiss to come to one of our men or women that are gonna be down here. All you gotta do is grab them by the hand and say, I need to be saved. They'll know exactly what that means. They'll know exactly what to do. They will lead you to faith in Jesus today, okay? For the rest of us, um, let me give you some pro tips on this. There's a film on top. You'll gently pull that back and you will get uh, the bread right there. And then hold this away from your, your clothes, especially if you're wearing a white shirt and gray jacket in front of a lot of people because it splatters just a little bit if you open it too roughly. All right, that was nice and gentle. I often say this about communion. If communion is a time that God has given us in the church calendar to, uh, to get back to be where you need to be with God. By the way, we're passing out elements. If you missed it on the way in, just raise your hand. But it's a time to, to get to be back where you need to be with God. And here we are, and we've been covering a sermon on priorities. Maybe there's some things in your life. Maybe it's just sin in your life that you need to get right with God. Today's a reminder. Jesus Christ has paid the price for you. It's also a great reminder on, uh, on priorities. You know, 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote, every time you, you do the Lord's Supper, you proclaim his death until he comes. You know how else we're gonna take the Lord's Supper today? We're gonna proclaim his priority, his rule in our lives today, okay? So I want you just to bow our head and close our eyes. And if you're here today and you say, Nick, man, I've, I've got some sin in my life that I just need to get right with God. You do that right now. Just confess before the Lord. The Bible warns of taking the, the, the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. Don't wanna do that. So just get right with God. This is something that's only reserved for Christians. So if you've never followed Christ, I just respectfully ask 
you just abstain. Nobody will notice. Nobody will see you. Why don't you just grab their bread right now? Lord, we remember your body that was broken for us, pierced, bruised for us, so that we could have peace with you, so that we could be changed. So Lord, we, we willingly and intentionally, we come back to you today. We think about the priorities in our lives, the things of God, the things of our family. And Lord, we come back to you. We thank you for the grace to be able to come back and we praise you for your body that was broken for us. You may take and you may eat. Lord, we grab the juice today, which reminds us of your blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We declare again today the gospel of Jesus that we cannot make ourselves right with God. We cannot be moral enough, cannot be good enough, cannot come to church enough to be right with God. But it's only through the blood that we are saved. So we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name. You may take and you may drink. Let me pray for us, Lord. We give you praise for what you are doing in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will do some new and fresh things in us. I pray for good conversations within families that uh, would lead to a reordering of priorities, whatever those are and whatever those need to be. We trust you for that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you have questions about what you have heard, or would like more information about your relationship with Jesus, please email us at info at crosschurch.com or visit our website at crosschurch.com. At Crosschurch, our mission is to reach Northwest Arkansas, America, and the world for Jesus Christ.